What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, not this week, is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky-ass hijinks, and analysis. Normally, I'd ask Adam, how's it going, sir? But Adam is on vacation. On vacation during one of the most critical weekends of the year for Atlanta sports. So I've got to pick up the pieces and do the best I can alone. I was going to get our old friend Joseph, who comes on the show, to hop on uh, this episode with me. But he had softball tonight, so flying solo, I think for the second time ever. So welcome to the show. Um, Big news this week is that the Braves are division champions. Braves are division champions. After, through the first 50 games, going 23 and 27, just in all sorts of trouble. We all know the story. Brian Snicker does the closed door, doors meeting in Arizona on June 1st. They turn around and had the best record in the majors since then. Something like 78 and 33 or some, some shit. Who knows? The point being, the Braves played out of their minds. They really did. Ever since Michael Harris came up, they played out of their minds. And they found themselves down one game going into that Mets series last weekend. Had the pleasure of going to that Friday night game. And let me tell you something, man. Fucking truest was electric. It felt like a damn playoff game. Everybody says that, but it was true. Um, Outfield seats were great. We were in right center field. And uh, had a Mets fan behind us. Had a couple of drunk Braves fans behind us. We're all talking shit in a good-natured way. Um, but it was, it was really fun. And it was, it was like, you know, DeGrom versus Freed. Max Freed pitches a great game, goes five innings strong, and he's sick the whole time with some sort of stomach virus, which he had no idea about. Um, while we were watching it, you know, he just looked like he was doing his normal thing. And then the next thing you know, Colin McHugh's coming in the sixth inning when Max has only thrown like 71 pitches. It was like, what the hell's going on? But he pitched brilliantly. And the thing that was also brilliant was just the clutch offensive performance throughout the weekend, but particularly on that Friday night game, it really set the stage for what was to come. You know, when you're down one game in a three-game set, when you got, what, six games left, I think, overall, and you're playing the team that's ahead of you, you got to sweep them. You got to sweep them. There's really no other way you're going to win the division because the Mets were going to go play Washington after that, and they're going to kick their ass. And we were playing Miami. And, you know, it was like, this is the time. This is it. There's no, there's nothing else really to do. There's no other preamble at this point. It's like you either do or you die, and the Braves did, and the Mets died. And it was fucking awesome. <laughs> it was so much fun. Dansby Swanson hits three home runs throughout the series, one in each game, one off DeGrom, one off Scherzer, one off Bassett. Matt Olson did the same damn thing. And uh, Austin Riley set the tone early with a home run. And then Dansby got in the action. Matt Olson got in on the action. Austin Riley and Matt Olson actually went back to back, which was which was really cool. And uh, the bullpen just did an unreal job throughout that throughout that uh, throughout that series. And I don't I think they gave up one run through like twelve and two thirds innings or thirteen innings or something like that. And the Braves really laid out their postseason plans for the bullpen, and I think also for the lineup in that game. So in the bullpen, you had um, McHugh coming in in the sixth. You had Iglesias in the seventh, Minter in the eighth, and then Kenley Jansen in the ninth. And uh, when Jansen came in, we were all nervous. We were all nervous in the seats. You know, he looked good initially, struck out Lindor, and then uh, proceeds to hit the next guy immediately 
gives him a single like right after that and then walks the next dude. And I was like, God, Jesus, space is loaded. We're up, I think, five to two at that point. But he found a way out of it. And ever since that game, even a little before that game, but ever since that game, I think he's pitched clean frames since then. And he's looked really good. The cutter is cutting. Um, he's gotten his control back. I'm still a little concerned. You can't not be concerned. It's hard to say you're concerned with a guy that you know, has 41 saves on the year. But, you know, he's been shaky. He's been shaky, but he has been really good his last, like, 11 outings. He just looked purely at the stat line. That, that game on Friday was a bit of a disaster in terms of clogging up the uh, clogging up the bases. But he did his best Will Smith imitation and got out of it. And then since then, he's looked dominant. And uh, one thing that really got exposed over the weekend was the Mets' lack of depth on offense. Um, you know, Adam was, Adam was going nuts last week. He was like, the Mets are the worst. 40 games over 500 team I've ever seen. They're top heavy. They suck. And while I've admitted, you know, they're top heavy, I don't think they suck. I still don't think they suck, for the record. You don't suck if you're 40 games under over 500. That's just objectively true. I don't think you can dispute that. But it did expose some problems for them in the playoffs, where it was really just like Alonzo and Lindor and McNeil. Those are the only guys that are really giving you anything. And the rest of the time, we were pretty much shutting them down, particularly with the bullpen. I mean, I love what I'm seeing from McHugh. McHugh is one of the more underrated signings, more more under-the-radar signings from the offseason by Alex Anthopoulos. I think he has like a his last 27 innings. He's got like a 1-3-3 ERA. He's just been outstanding. Sub-1 whip. Uh, Iglesias, we all know how great he's been since coming over here. His last 24 innings, I don't think he's given up a single run. Zero ERA. Um, we know how great Mentor is. But it's interesting looking at the bullpen now how different it is than last year, right? When we had Matzik and Jackson and Mentor and everyone's hero, Will Smith. It's a night shift, man. We thought that was going to be you know, a big staple moving forward. And Tyler Matzik's no longer, I mean, we knew this, but you know, it was further, you know, it was plainly evident in this, uh, in this series. He's no longer a guy you rely on in high leverage situations. And that's okay. He's there for depth. He's there if you need him. But those other guys kind of have it on lockdown. And they did a hell of a job. I mean, they showed up when they absolutely had to. Dansby Swanson showed up when he had to. Um, really carried this team offensively. Matt Olson really carried the team offensively. It was great because Michael Harris did not have a good series. And he's had a, a rough last week or so. I think he's like three for his last 22. He also <laughs> dropped the uh, first sacrifice bunt the Braves had all season in the Miami game last night. So with, you know, with a guy you relied on like Harris all, you know, ever since he came up this season, you know, for him to be virtually a ghost outside of playing great defense, uh, it was really great to see Matt Olson in particular step up. And Dansby's been clutch all year, but Matt Olson's gone through his big, these big time slumps and swoons. And I was talking about how he needs to be dropped to eighth or ninth in the order. I don't necessarily agree with that. Now he's got five home runs since I started talking shit about him, three of which are off. DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett. So he, he's, he's fine going to the playoffs. So I, uh, I take that back. Uh, he proved me wrong. He's, he's, ready, he's ready to rock and roll in the playoffs. And he's been great ever since he got that day off. It was really that day off, and then he just started smacking homers, coming up with clutch base hits, drawing walks. He's playing solid defense, not making you know those really dumb mental errors like dropping routine throws to him or 
softly hit balls and misplaying him. Like he's he's looking good out there. He's looking good. Um, finishes the season with like thirty three bombs, hundred one driven in, two thirty nine batting average isn't great, but uh, neither is like the sub three fifty on base percentage. Um, but you know the the thing is, it's just like please show up in the playoffs, and I, I think he will. I have a really good feeling about Matt Olson going into the playoffs. It's good to see Austin Riley get it going a little bit in that series, hit that big home run off of DeGrom. And that was really, was really like the thing, man. When you think about that Mets series, um, the, you know, the Mets reshuffled their rotation, right? They reshuffled the rotation to feature DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, back to back to back. And they put DeGrom there, so it was like, we have to, you know, it was basically just like, you know, putting your balls on the table and saying, we're going with our big guns first. So we can pretty much put this thing away because if they won that game, they go up two games with two left to play against Atlanta. And then it's almost, it's not virtually impossible to come back from that, but that's like, that's like the death knell pretty much. That's like the last nail in the coffin's halfway driven in. So for the Braves to really respond how they did in this pressure situation showed the maturity of this team showed the fight of this team. It showed the experience of this team. They've been here before. They know how to win. And they went out and did it. They went out and did it. When they have, you know, had an up and down September, when the light shone the brightest, the Braves showed up. And it was just a wonderful series to watch all through the weekend. It really, like, I mean, you're just on the edge of your seat. Every pitch is huge. Every play is huge. Um... I don't really have a lot of negative things to say about it. I mean, I think the big thing looking forward to the playoffs, um, and now that the, the the bracket is set, right, where we're the two seeds, so we get a we get a bye. We don't have to play in those wild card that wild card round. Thank God. Um, we play the winner of St. Louis and Philly. So now the Braves have a chance to really get their shit in order, and by their shit in order, I mean you know. What's going to happen with uh, Spencer Strider? Most important part of this postseason roster to me is Spencer Strider. Alex Anthopoulos went on with the uh, the boys at Bally Sports last night um, after the Braves beat the Marlins 2-1 to one to clinch the division, and they were asking him about Strider. And he basically said that he felt good warming up playing catch, which he did not feel good the last time he tried to do that, which resulted in his uh, injured list stint that he's on currently. So that's an encouraging sign. He said he might be ready to go for the NLDS. And if he is, that's just that's just huge because you're basically getting at that point three top flight pitchers. You're getting Max Freed, Kyle Wright, and Spencer Strider in whatever order you want to use them in. Um. And the thing is now, though, it's just like you wait. You wait for to see, as a fan, what's going to happen with Spencer Strider. And, and, and if Spencer Strider isn't ready to go, then Charlie Morton is automatically inserted into that, um, into those, that top three billing, right? Uh, but the problem also is, is that now Jake Odorizzi has to be considered for, for the fourth option, which you don't want to do, despite the fact he pitched well. To clinch the division, went five innings, seven strikeouts, only gave up two runs. He even sort of realized how much he sucked since he got here. He was interviewed, and they're like, "How's this feel?" And he's like, "I guess I saved the best for last." You know, he, he knows that he hasn't done well in a Braves uniform, but 
When he had to absolutely show up, he did, so we appreciate that. But we don't want to see him. One game does not a season make. His entire backlog this year has just been a disaster since playing on a Braves uniform. So just because he pitched one good game against a, like, 30 games under 500 team does not make me immediately go, oh, God, we got to get that guy in the postseason rotation if Spencer Strider can't go. Just be ludicrous. Be ludicrous. Absolutely insane to do that. And I don't think Brian Snicker or Alex Anthopoulos would. But the question is, who is your fourth starter for the National League Division Series? And you hope you don't have to uh, you don't have to ask that question, right? You hope Spencer Strider is ready to go because then you got you know you got Strider, Wright, Freed, and Morton. But it is something that the Braves are going to have to consider if Strider can't go. Who is going to be that other guy? And the only person that really comes to mind is Bryce Elder. Even though he's only really pitched well against Washington and Miami this year, he's made significant strides. He's gone deep in games, through a complete game the last time he went out there. So if, if Strider's out, the only option really is Elder. Anything else is just unacceptable. You can't do Rizzi. I don't feel comfortable throwing Kyle Muller out there. It's got to be Elder. It's got to be Elder. Elder has done enough to warrant consideration if Strider can't go. And he should be on the damn roster anyway, I think, even if Strider can, because you never know if someone's going to blow up early on in a playoff game. And if they do, you, you can't afford to let them languish out there. So hopefully Elder is on the roster, regardless of whether or not Strider can go. But we obviously all really want Spencer Strider to go. But then the question also becomes there, hasn't pitched in a couple of weeks, probably going on three weeks now. How effective is he going to be? You have no idea. But you got to dance with the one that got you there. And he's one of the people that has definitely gotten the Braves where they are today. It's going to be really interesting to see how the postseason roster shapes up, particularly with that rotation. But what a ride this this team has given us this year. Um, you know, we've had a lot of downs early on, a lot of pessimism, especially from yours truly. But I think, you know, I was thinking about this last night when I was watching the guys celebrate in the locker room. We're, we're in another golden era of Braves baseball. Five straight division titles. We all know how great it is to win the division title, but we won another World Series. And that's the thing. If we hadn't won the World Series last year, if we had bowed out in the first round again and we won the division again this year, I would have just, I, I wouldn't care. I mean, I would care, but, you know, it's just like, we've seen this so many times. We can't get over the hump. Blah, 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 blah. But Snicker, ever since 2020, it really ever since he came on, incremental steps forward. Incremental steps forward as a manager. Wins the division in 2018, we don't, you're not expected to. Comes back in 2019, does it. Lose the Cardinals, which really sucked in the division series. You know, you lose in the division series back-to-back years. But it was still like you felt like progress was being made. 2020 was a bizarre year for everybody. It was, it was an absolutely stupid 60-game season. But the Braves won two playoff rounds. I was like, okay, progress. Even though you choked away the three-run lead to the Dodgers. Three-to-one lead to the Dodgers. And then last year, you win the damn World Series. Full season. Um, in the most unexpected way, the team that was really banged up and underperformed, Anthopolis makes all those moves, and Snitker, you know, pushes the buttons to perfection, particularly with the bullpen in the postseason. And now you're back in the playoffs. You win 100 games or 101 games, whatever it is. You overcome a 10.5-game deficit against a team that went out and spent $270-$50 million, whatever the hell it was. We're in a golden era of Braves baseball with a brilliant general manager who makes pretty much all the right moves. 
especially moves at the deadline. Like we know all the things about Jorge Soler and Jack Peterson and Adam Duvall and all they gave us last year. But think about this year too. It's like this isn't just a flash in the pan. Making a move for a guy like Iglesias to solidify, really truly solidify the back end of that bullpen was incredibly clutch. And what he gave up for him was nothing. It's like Anthopolis just makes these deals happen, man. That vastly, vastly improved the team. We are in a golden era of Braves baseball. And I hope everyone out there appreciates that. Um, it's really easy to take uh, take for granted. But the thing I love going to the ballpark, I've been to like seven or eight games this year, is everybody's into the game. Even when the fans do the wave, which I hate uh, every once in a while, it's still like everybody's in the game. Everybody, you know, it doesn't matter if it's June, July, August, September. Everybody's into the game. Everybody loves this team. And the team feels that. And they go out there and give everything they got for you. You have a great manager. We have a great general manager in front office and scouts and coaches. Um, and the team loves each other. And you really feel that. And it's really it's really easy to fall in love with this team. And, I, and um, just over the years, ever since Snicker took over, even though we've lost you know, guys that we loved, like Josh Donaldson, of course, Freddie Freeman. Um, but you have to have absolute faith in Anthopolis and Snicker and what they're doing because they, they did it last year. And, and they've been doing it at a high level, but they did it last year. They, they, they climbed the mountaintop, and they're looking to do it again. And I would not be surprised if they do because this team knows how to win. They know how to win in huge clutch situations, and they're not going to panic. You know, when you look ahead to, to, to playing either Philly or St. Louis, Philly struggled down the stretch. I think St. Louis is probably going to clean their clock, honestly. Um, and they got some black voodoo magic working over there with Albert Pujols getting over 700 home runs. I don't know if it's a thing where it's he's taking steroids or what, but ever since the All-Star break, that man looks like it's, you know, pool hosts in 2007, 2010. He's hitting 45 home runs with like 600 slugging percentages and shit. It's scary. And, um, you know, they got Goldschmidt and Arenado. They got a sneaky good pitching staff. Um, but I, that's who I want in the division series. Um, not from a, a sort of competitive standpoint, because I think we really match up well with Philadelphia, and I think they're just happy to get in because they broke, uh, you know, a, a, what, a 12-year postseason drought. I really want St. Louis because we have, a, we, have, we have a score to settle. We remember the 10-run first inning against Mike Fultonavich. We remember the wild card game, Chipper Jones' last game. How much bullshit that was. That wasn't really on the Cardinals as much as the umpires, but I have a lot of hatred for the Cardinals. Respect, but hatred for the Cardinals. And I want, that's one of the last postseason demons I really need to exercise. I need to, I need to beat the Cardinals in the playoffs, and I need to beat the Yankees in the World Series. If we can do that, I can die a happy man. I can already die pretty much a happy man, but that would really be the icing on the cake because we took out the Dodgers last year, those bastards who beat us in 2018, 2020, 2013. You know, the last three postseason matchups we had, and they just they, they crushed us. Or they, or, you know, in 2020, they just came back. We choked it away. But, uh, you know, got to beat these. I really want the Cardinals. If we can beat the Cardinals, we can, I can really put that hatred to bed for a little bit uh, until we meet again. Um, obviously, the easier matchup is Philadelphia. They haven't, they haven't played well, like I mentioned, down the stretch. They barely got into the playoffs. They barely beat the, the Brewers for one of the last wild card spots. So I want the, Car I mean, I want the Cardinals for you know for revenge 
I would want the Phillies just as a straight-up matchup. But we'll see what happens. Good news is those teams have to beat up on each other. They have to use their best pitchers in this best-of-three set. The wild-card round is now a best-of-three. It's not no longer a one-game series. So the advantage is clearly with the Braves for the National League Division Series, just solely based on both teams having to use their best guys. And they don't really get any time off. They get one day off, Those whoever wins the wild card round, uh, before they have to come to Atlanta. So you're looking at a fully rested Max Freed, fully rested Kyle Wright, fully rested Charlie Morton, or Strider, who should be really, really well rested. And you sort of, you know, the Braves are going to have to go through and sort of analyze, you know, the matchups and see which starting pitcher is the, the right one to use. But, uh, you know, it's, if, if it's not Strider, it's got to be Wright or, or, or Max Freed. And really looking forward to it. Going to the game on Tuesday, ready to rock and roll. Um, what a season for the Braves. What a season. And, 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 what, and just to come back when the Mets were talking so much shit, be it the players, be it uh, you know the, the, the media that covers the team, Talking so much shit. And then, you know, I really liked what Spencer Strider said. You know, tough words from the rookies. Like, you know, they're, they're looking good in August. Let's see what happens in October. We found out what happened in October. So go Braves. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. A word from our sponsors, and we'll talk some Falcons. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. If you're able to do this, and uh, if you're in Georgia, you can, unfortunately, but if you're somewhere else where, where, where it's legal, Falcons, Bucks. Last time I looked at the spread, the Bucks were giving up eight and a half points. Bucks are in a little bit of disarray. Got crushed by the Chiefs last weekend, not scoring as many points as they thought. They're banged up. Falcons have a lot of momentum, even though they're going on the road into a hostile environment against Brady. Still giving up seven and a half, eight, eight and a half points to the Falcons. Uh, makes the Falcons a very appealing bet in this game, considering what Tampa Bay is going through right now. So I would definitely look to the Falcons if you are able to do DraftKings Sportsbook this weekend. And to make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. So here's what you need to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. As if the weekend couldn't get any sweeter with the Braves kicking the Mets' ass before they were to clinch the division. The Falcons beat the Browns. Falcons show up at home with a great home crowd making a bitch load of noise throughout. And even it was crazy. We were sitting at a brew house watching the game, and they had the sound on, and the announcers were like, man, this Atlanta crowd's really making a lot of noise. You could hear them. So if you were at the game last week, and good job um, finally making the great anus uh, maybe a little bit of an intimidating place to play, which is really, uh, really nice to hear. And it was an odd game, man. Odd game. Falcons get out to a big, not a big lead, but a 10 nothing lead early on. Mariota looks all right. Pass protection looks all right. We're kind of containing Chubb. He's doing, you know, 
He's still having uh, success. You know, Jacoby Brissett's still doing his thing uh, through the air. He wasn't throwing a lot of incompletions, but the Falcons were doing were doing well. You know, the Falcons did a great job. They were able to force a turnover early that led to some points scored with a uh, forced fumble, and they were able to really kind of. Um, you know, maintain time of possession well, uh, too, in the first half. But then the Browns come storming back in the second quarter, 10 points unanswered. And then, you know, you started to see things. Like Mariota was really under duress. They were really getting in his face. You know, they only sacked him once, but they were all over him. And he wasn't really able to get anything going through the air after the first quarter. He had some, a uh, couple of good passes to Kyle Pitts in, 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 you know, in the first quarter. Um, but really it was just, he only had seven completions on the day, you know, and he had another bad play near the end of the game where he threw a really critical pick and it was like, God, man, I mean, this guy, we know he's not the answer, but it's just week after week, we start to see that his, his play is getting almost worse week over week at quarterback, but, um, kudos to the Falcons staff because they realized that things weren't working, uh, with, with Mariota and they just like completely abandoned the passing game and just ran it down the Browns' throat, and it was incredible. There was one sequence in the second half where they ran it 14 consecutive times, and every single time was like positive yards, positive yards. They ran a lot behind Caleb McGarry, too. He was just bulldozing people. Talked a lot of shit about McGarry. Underperformed seemingly his entire career. Looking pretty damn good this year. So is, so is Lindstrom, but we knew Lindstrom was, was, was great. But they were running a lot behind McGarry in the, uh, in the second half. And I tell you what, I mean, it was it was just something to behold. And it wasn't just that they were doing well with the running game because the Falcons had done well with the running game all year. It was the guys that were doing it. Corderell goes out after the first half, uh, and he had a decent first half, nine carries, 38 yards, and a touchdown. But he goes out. And unfortunately, Corderell's going to be on the, the damn IR uh, after a knee procedure following this game. But the guys who uh, filled in for him were, were fantastic. Algier was running with... Head full of steam. 10 carries, 84 yards. Caleb Huntley. Who? Caleb Huntley, who was just signed off the practice squad. He was the other running back that was uh, active along with Avery Williams. But he ran for 10 carries, 56 yards, and a really hard-fought touchdown. And, my God, it was just something to behold. It was like Chubb couldn't be stopped, and then these guys couldn't be stopped. It was like this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it got to the point where... Mariota throws that pick, and we're like, oh, God, here we go. It was just kind of like the Seahawks game. But once again, the defense steps up. Defense steps up, plays really well. Grady gets in there, makes a game-saving sack, uh, which was beautiful. Only sack we got on the day. Couldn't get a lot of pressure on Brissett whatsoever, but Grady fought his way through there and sacked Brissett. can't remember if it was the next player to play after, but D. Alford, the guy who did such a great job in the preseason, picks off the ball to solidify the victory. Um, this was really a team game, and it also showed, again, like last week, that this organization, this, not this organization, but this coaching staff, is willing to make adjustments when things aren't working. They took the ball out of Mariota's hands, and they just let him hand it off every single time, and it worked. I hate it when the when NFL coaches get too cute, when it's like someone's working, and they're like, eh, we got to change it up a little bit just to keep them honest. It's like, no, make them stop you. Make them stop you, and that's exactly what the Falcons did, except the Browns couldn't stop the two-headed monster of Algier and Huntley. I mean, these, these guys were insane. The Falcons ran the ball 35 times, 202 yards on the day. It's a damn good effort. Um, you know, the Browns, the Browns ate, you know, a little bit. You know, Chubb at 19 for 118. Uh, Kareem Hunt, 10 carries for 49 yards. It was, 
Njoku was really tearing us up in the first half. He had five catches for 73 yards. Um, but, you know, the thing was is that we sort of fought the Browns' strength, uh, strength for strength. The Falcons have been one of the more productive rushing teams in the league. Corderell was second in the league in rushing coming in this week. And then when he goes down, Huntley and Algier step up. And I really like what I'm seeing from Algier, man. He's, he's getting yards after contact. He's running people over. He's like a mini Corderell Patterson. Love what I'm seeing. And Huntley, I didn't even know Huntley existed until today. So, or not today, but <laughs> until Sunday. Um, it was just really inspiring. It was just like the most unfalcons e game minus the Mariota pick. It was, it was just like so weird to watch the Falcons adjust because it was like Mariota kept dropping back and he just kept pressuring his face or just throwing balls over people's heads. He was just not – the Browns really did a good job getting, getting him out of the, his rhythm. And the Falcons adjusted and made it happen and won the damn game. It's, it's really that simple. You're looking like Arthur Smith is, was probably the best in-game tactician we've we've had as a coach in my lifetime. Is that is that too premature to say? Is that recency bias? Am I just making a, a grandiose statement like that because it just happened? Probably. But tell me one other Falcons coach who would change it up, who would really change it up when something's not working. No more square peg round hole bullshit. He, he took the square peg out. He kicked it through the hole that was open in the great anus. He got the circle peg and shoved it in there, man. Shoved it in the round hole. Force fed his running backs. His running backs stepped up and made it happen. They just kept going to him and going, going to him. Bow down to Arthur Smith, I say. Because uh, this Falcons team is 2-2. Two and two, And they're exceeding expectations, I think, in all respects. Particularly the offensive line and the running game. The running game in general, combined with the backs and the offensive line, has been fantastic. Now, it is concerning that Corderell is going to be out for at least the next four weeks. That's a huge blow. And I don't think every week you're going to start looking at uh, you know, Huntley and Algier getting this output, this high volume of yardage between them, combined for like 140 yards or something alone between them. Um, I don't think you're going to get that, but... It was really encouraging to see that. It was really encouraging to see the coaching staff step up and they lose their best offensive player, I would say. Best all-around offensive player. Guy they rely on who's gotten just a, just a high volume of, of touches this year and are still able to win a ball game against a solid Browns team. Very solid Browns team. So great win for the Falcons. Look ahead to Tampa Bay next week. Tampa Bay's in a, a bit of a tailspin like I was uh, talking about if you listen to the DraftKings ad. They're 2-2, two and 0-2 two, oh two at home, which is where we're going, man. So, yeah, they, they really got uh, handled by the Chiefs. Uh, you know, through their first three games, they only scored 23 points. They, they, they did score 31 against Kansas City, but Kansas City out, out, you know, outgunned them, 141-31. So, you know, Tom Brady's not looking good. Got some injuries going on. Don Smith, questionable. Cameron Brate, the tight end that... Always tortures us. Questionable. Rashard Perryman, receiver. Questionable. Chris Godwin, questionable. Hell, even Tom Brady's questionable. Keem Hicks, questionable. They're a great defensive tackle. They got uh, Josh Wells is on injured reserve, one of their best offensive linemen. Um, they got tons of people either on injured reserve or are questionable. All up and down the roster. Our boy Julio, once again, questionable. Missed last week's game, too. Russell Gage, our other uh, former boy. Questionable. Um, you know, so it's like, Got a bunch of people injured. 
vulnerable team. Um, Tom Brady's personal life is falling apart. Falcons are like seven and a half, eight and a half point underdogs going into this game. But man, Tampa Bay better watch out because this Falcons team is playing a lot of heart, a lot of guts. The defense is stepping up when it has to. It's still getting kind of torn up a little bit on, in the passing game. And, you know, you, you look at, you know, during the game at all these quarterback stat lines, but be it Geno Smith, Matthew Stafford, Jacoby Brissett, it's always like people are 14 of 15, 15 of 17. We're not getting any pressure on the quarterback. We got no pressure on Brissett all game until Grady came in at the zero hour and did his best John Abraham imitation. So that's still something you got to be concerned about because Brady, regardless of whatever's going on with him, you can't overlook him. There's just no way. He's the best to ever do it. He's probably going to, I would imagine, bring his A game. Their offense did get better last week. So it's, you know, it's going to be another another dogfight. But this, this Falcons team is not afraid. The defense steps up when it has to at the end of the game. And uh, the offense does a great job running the football. If we can continue to do that, we got a chance. I mean, it's as simple as that analysis is. That's really what it comes down to. Because Marcus Mariota isn't going to get it done for you. A lot of people talking about how they want Desmond Ritter to get his first start. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing what he's got, honestly. Um, Mariota just proves week after week that he just he's just not. He's a below-average NFL quarterback with the ability to rush the ball. There's a couple of good throws in him, a couple of good runs in him, but by and by, he's not consistent enough. And he makes dumbass decisions, be it you know throwing into bad coverages or losing the ball for some reason. Fumbling the ball for some reason, which has happened in multiple games this year, in critical, critical moments. Um, so, you know, I don't trust him. I wouldn't mind seeing Ritter this week. I don't think it's going to happen, but I wouldn't mind seeing it. But, you know, because of, of that, because I don't think it's going to happen, you've got to rely on the rushing attack again. And the Bucks haven't been as formidable as they are in the past in terms of the rushing game defense. You know, the run defense has given up 427 yards through four games, so that's you know over 100 yards a game. Um, they've given up two touchdowns, and they're giving up 4.3 yards, yards per carry. This Falcons offensive line and running, running game can exploit that. That is the key to victory. I think we figured out what the key to victory for this Falcons team is right now with Mariota under center. Defense has to bend but not break and force turnovers. I think they've forced like four turnovers in their in their last two games. They've got to keep forcing turnovers, particularly in the fourth quarter. And we just got to run the ball down people's throats. Yes, we want Kyle Pitts to 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 be more involved. Yes, we want Drake London to continue being the great gazelle that he is in in you know in the open field. We want that, but it's going to be hard to get that consistently from Marcus Mariota. You're just not going to get it. So you got to keep. Running the ball down people's throats. It's going to be a lot harder without Corderell for the next four weeks. But we saw the blueprint. We saw the blueprint for victory. I think this coaching staff knows that. They're going to obviously have to change it up a little bit in terms of how they run the football. Um, so it's not just going to be the same thing and people start keying in on that. But that is the key to victory. Defense forces turnovers because they can't really stop you consistently or get pressure on the quarterback. But they can force turnovers. Force turnovers. Be opportunistic. Run it down people's throats. That's the key, man. And I don't really have a ton more to say other than I'm really enjoying watching the Falcons again for the first time since the Super Bowl year. It's just a different energy about this team. I don't know if it's Matt Ryan leaving or if it's um, – because, I mean, Matt Ryan's still a lot better than Mariota, for God's sake. I, mean, I know he's having a 
tough season. It's funny, though. Someone had a great tweet that said, uh, Matt Ryan leads the league in turnovers for quarterbacks, and number two is Marcus Mariota. Matt Ryan has eight, Mariota has seven. So do with that what you will. But um, point being, my enjoyment of it's more about like them overperforming. It's more about them showing heart. It's more about them just performing with immense effort and, you know, and um, battling in every game. Every game has been really close regardless of if it's been a win or a loss. Falcons are, are, are doing their damnedest and I expect them to do their damnedest again Sunday uh, against Tampa Bay. So that's really it. Short and sweet show. Adam should be back next week. Uh, don't know when we're going to record because we'll have all the, the Braves games going on. Probably get another episode out to you next Thursday, I would think. Uh, we'll see, though. Um, we hope you guys are doing well out there. We'll see you next week. Until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospital Thomas. Up.